just another day when we have to um, mourn and celebrate at the same time, which is what we're very good at here. That's um, that's our stock and trade, mourning and celebrating. In this case, it is, of course, Leah Chase, um, who just passed. And um, I... I could start with her if Jazz tells me I can do that. Okay, so I'm going to start instead with another iconic uh, story, which has to do um, in a much lighter vein with our snowball stands in the city. And um, Megan Braden Perry is going to tell us about a book she's just come out with, that is called Crescent City. Now, here's how I have it. Crescent City Snow. Yes. The Ultimate Guide to New Orleans Snowball Stands. Yes, ma'am. What a subject. What fun. And uh, a lot of snowball eating. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So much snowball eating. 50 Just, different places. Can you still eat a snowball? Barely. Barely. <laughs> yeah. Barely. People, you know, people will come in town and they'll say, oh, we're going to get the snowball because I know you like them. And I'll say, yes, I, I do, but I, please, can I've we had get, a, can I've we had get a, a drink? Few. Right, I've had a few. <laughs> can we get a drink? Can we get coffee, pizza, anything? <laughs> right. But, you know. So so one. what did make you um, take on <laughs> this subject? Yeah. And then, of course, I want all your recommendations. Oh, but. yeah. Yes, ma'am. Well, speaking of icons, um, so I used to work at NOLA.com, and I worked at Gambit before, and, you know, covering a lot of crime, and people were always mean to me, you know, in the comments, of course. And so I said, I would like to write about something where people wouldn't be so mean to me, you know, something that I like or people wouldn't be so mean. And that was always in the back of my head. And then when I was at Gambit, I used to do this thing called Public Transit Tuesdays where I would come and, you know, I would just talk about you riding the bus, riding the streetcar, and just all the things I saw. And this man who worked at um, at UNO, uh, the late, now late, Dr. Michael Mazel Nelson, another icon, he, you know, he helped get people to know a lot about the po' boy and all these things. He invited me to go visit him at UNO to go speak to his class. And, then, and he was like a fun little, like, he was a silly, loving guy. He's my mentor. I dedicated the book to him because when I was leaving his class, he goes, oh, you want to write a book? And I said, I don't have anything to write about. What am I going to write about, snowballs? And he's like, yeah, yeah, do that. And I said, really? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and so It's so I funny it. how things come to be. It really right. is. So but let's back up for a minute because um, we're going to go further into the snowball book because yes, I love the idea. Thank but um, tell me how you got to uh, writing in general. Why is that so much a, a part of your history, your career, your life? Oh, writing in general. Well, um, you know, I went to college and I majored in journalism because I thought, this is so dumb. I looked at the Dillard catalog and it said 136 credit hours instead of 140 or something. And I said, oh, I'll do it. That's easy. But then I, I started doing it. And I said, I don't like this. And my English professor said, oh, why don't you be an English major? And then eventually I was an English major, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then one day I said, you know, I don't like whatever I'm doing. I was working at the Gap, working at Build-A-Bear, you know, just silly little jobs, you know, just retail. And day said, jobs, we yeah, call them, exactly, right? right. Mm-hmm. Day jobs, you know. And, and I wasn't even thinking about writing. But then I said, you know what? I spend all my ding dang money on magazines. You know, any bit of money I get, I spend on food, I spend on drinks, I spend on magazines. And I said, why don't I write for magazines? And then I started to do it. Worked at Gambit as an intern, and then. You know, the rest is history. <laughs> that's great. That's that's uh, it, it's actually amazing, isn't it? How one teacher 
yes. in your life can make such a difference. I had a teacher in high school who recommended that I apply to a school called um, the Cornell University School of Industrial and Labor Relations. I would never have heard of it right, if right. it weren't for him, right? turns out it basically is what's called the land-grant school at Cornell. Mm-hmm. So I could go to that school at an Ivy League college free. There was no tuition. What? Can you imagine? So today, I think so differently about it. At the time, I kind of took it a little bit for granted. Right. And then I managed to get a scholarship to pick up my room and board. And so, but he was the one, you know. Uh, he he just um, he knew I loved history, social studies, and he just felt like that program, which is all about essentially economic history, mm-hmm. it's about how economics drives history, how whether people have jobs or not drives history right and whether people have business opportunities or not drives history and so um it was an amazing recommendation and i've that's been my philosophy ever since in life is to focus on that issue but we're not yes. talking about me um i got off i'm sorry oh, no, okay. I, i'm going to get off and talk about myself <laughs> a little bit in relation to leah also yes. because i have my own stories we all have our right. stories about oh, leah right lord we do but t- all right now tell me about um so you decide you're going to write a book about snowballs yes and 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 all the time you kind of got a grin on your face thinking about it right and how did you start working on it how did you research it oh, yeah. and and let's talk about your conclusions okay cool well, um one thing you know how new Orleans i just is. noticed you're wearing oh. an ice cream cone earring yeah <laughs> yes it's snowball earrings and Love they have the straw and everything it's this girl um she's on instagram her name is ms nola's craft room she makes amazing things that she makes adorable. fried chicken necklaces that look like real fried chicken oh that's amazing you get hungry beautiful <laughs> king cake cufflinks she's amazing wow. she's I love her to death. What's her name? Um, her name is Rachel Hernandez, but it's Ms. Nola's Craft Room on Instagram, Ms. Facebook. Craft Room. Yes, ma'am. Tell her I have to have her on you. sometime. She okay. is amazing. Uh-huh. She, I, I clearly, I love her. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know how it is. You know we're both you know from here, and so you know you know how it is. You go to a restaurant and you know you'll sit there and someone you hear somebody else talking about a different restaurant. So I went to the, you know, the snowball stands that I've always been to. Of course, the one by Brother Martin, which uh, the name is, it's so long and silly. It's the original New Orleans snowball and smoothie. No one ever calls it that. It's just the Brother Martin snowball stand, the greenhouse, even though they moved to, like, a white building. Still the greenhouse. Um so I would go to Snowball Sands, and then people would send me recommendations. You know, I would say, oh, where have you been? And they would say, oh, I like to go here. I like to go there. You know how we are. We talk about food, you know, right now. Um, so <laughs> right. I started. I wanted to do, you know, oh, okay, one snowball a day. You can, you know, kind of like go through a month, 30 snowballs. That's fair. That's even. But then I um, I started going to these sands, and there's so many, and a ton on the West Bank. How many are there? Well, there are more than 50, but there are 50 in my book. Oh, my God. Yes, man. And that's just in Greer, New Orleans. That's not counting all the delicious ones in St. Tammany Parish, like Southern Delights and Brain Freeze and um, what's the other one? Brain Just Chillin'. So good. Just Chillin' is amazing. Yeah. That is in Covington and in Mandeville. So good. Just Chillin'. Yeah. But at the time, my baby was really little, and I was not trying to cross that bridge with sure, a wine baby. Right. Yeah. At all. So I live <laughs> below Canal, as they say. I live below Canal. So uh, give me some recommendations below Canal. Below, below. So that would be like, uh, like in this, like, which north, south, like, you know, north Russia Blave, south Russia Blave, uptown, downtown. 
I'm up down, I'm bad with below. So I live near the John Mack. Oh, okay, okay. All right, great. Uh, okay, because <laughs> I'm, I'm up, yeah, I'm like below. Wait, that sounds like a direction. I'm bad with direction. Below is down, okay. down river. Okay, ooh. <laughs> um, let's see. Something about John Mack. Um, what is, oh, you know what I love? It's, um, it's not that close to John Mack. It is Baby Snack Box. Baby mm-hmm, yep. Snack Box. Baby Snack Box. And okay, that's where's on, that? Or, that's on Orleans, not too far from Amelia. Not too no, far. No. Orleans isn't far at all. Exactly. So it's right there. It's so good. She makes amazing yakami and really good, like, chicken plates and all kind of things. But the snowballs are amazing, too. Oh, wait. So she has other kinds of food in addition to mm-hmm, snowballs. Yes. Oh, that's yeah. my place. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yep. So good. Um, what else? What else is this? Uh, anywhere vaguely. Okay, and anywhere that I love. Okay, I'll give yeah. you all my favorites. Okay. Um, one place that I really like that's new is called Main Attraction Snowballs, mm-hmm. and that is on Chef Highway and Chef and Crowder, and you, you get to see like cars. They do car shows and stuff out there. The owner's real nice, um, and the food is just really the food is really good too. Seafood nachos, all that. So a lot of the places are not just snowball stands, but actually full out restaurants that also. I don't think I've ever had a snowball in a restaurant. Oh well, so the so I think what they try to do is you know every, not everybody likes snowballs, you know, and I guess it's kind of like when you go to a bar and you order a drink. Sometimes they have little bar snacks. Of course, these you gotta buy. But, you know, they have, like, little snacks, like Snowball and Nachos. Uh, when I interviewed... What? Snowball and oh, Nachos? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you, when I wrote the book, I interviewed Rob Carter, Rob Carter the Third. Interviewed him um, when and we were at Rodney's. And Rodney's is my favorite Snowball stand by far. In Rodney's? East, yes. Best Nachos. Where best, is that? It's in New Orleans East. And I love that place. Love it. It's in New Orleans East on... Um, on Lake, I mean, uh, Lake Forest. Yeah. Wait, I, I lost one. Let's see, main attractions. Oh, yeah. Then you said Snowball what? Um, Before, <laughs> oh, Rob Carter, Rob Carter. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, and Rob Carter, yes. So he's just a friend of mine. Well, and what's so, the name of this? Yeah, Rodney's, Rodney's Snowball Sand okay, in New Orleans. Oh, oh, I see, okay. Mm-hmm. I love that sand. Um, really, really great nachos, great snowball. And, um, and one thing I like, it's kind of like sneaky, you can't tip there. And there are cameras, so you, you cannot tip. What? Yeah. But, I mean, I guess because, you know. That's terrible because I know how well, been but, a waitress but he, in pay, my life. he pays really well, too. So that's, like, the people who work there, they've been working there for years, you know. Uh-huh. Like, he treats uh, them well. Oh, They're like okay. family. Yeah. I because Because, you know, you go to these other places and you're able to tip. And it, it, sometimes it makes you feel uncomfortable, you know, where you're like, how much do I tip? What do I do? You know, and then. He just likes everybody to have the same really good experience all the time. People who've been working there have been working there forever, wow. even like grown up. Well, if they're working there forever, it must be a good right. place exactly. to work. Exactly, because I'm but quick to be. I like, lived you know, on my tips. Right. I mean, my oh, I've tips been a waitress were, too. Trust you know, me. Yeah, right. That's a, that's an important part. Right. But he pays so, a fair wage, you know. So what? Uh, so what are some of the other books that you've you've actually written? Oh yes, ma'am. Um, another book that oh, before I forget, there's one other saying I love: flavors and Kenner. Flavors. Um, yes, ma'am. And they're really, really good. Their food is amazing. You know what? Actually, before I move off the subject of snowballs, yes. I just want to be honest and yes. tell you. Yes, ma'am. I'm a Yankee. Originally, I call myself a reformed Yankee. <laughs> I grew up in an Italian neighborhood, primarily, ah. where they had ices, right? Mm-hmm. Lemon like, like ices. A water ice type you, thing? You'd get a little cup, a little paper cup, mm-hmm. and it'd be filled with, like, Shaved ice, not unrelated to snowballs, but different because it wasn't ice with syrup poured over it. The flavor of the citrus, it was lemon more than anything else, Mm -hmm. was rightly, was literally infused right into the, um, the ice. And, um, 
I have to say, I still kind of favor because those ices it, are real smooth, it. right? And I'm a major ice cream fan. Oh, then so heck let yeah. me just say that if I'm a major ice cream fan of all of the snowball sands that you have. Which one would you recommend, oh, considering my like for that cream part? Okay, if you like that cream part, something smooth and creamy, honestly, I'll, I would say Hanson's. I know that you're probably just like, you didn't even mention Hanson's, but Hanson's, Imperial Woodpecker. Um, and Imperial Woodpecker? They're so good, and she makes this really good flavor. She makes a, a bunch of great flavors. One of them is um, cereal milk. And she, she's a nice girl. You know, she's a girl. She's a mom. Well, obviously, she's a girl and a mom. But she's a mom, really great lady. Love her to death. Nisa Weaver. Um, and I would also say uh, Robert's in um, in Harahan. Robert's like Jefferson, Harahan. Smooth ice. So, you know, so what? You really smooth, smooth ice. ice See, know? that's so what that's, I like. I like the yeah. smoother ice, yeah. Right. So that's Robert's mm-hmm. in Jefferson. Yes, I am. All and right. they spell it like ro, R-O and then bear. Oh, I got it. <laughs> okay, right. so um, uh, let me move on oh, because I got Sorry. more to come. i got to get <laughs> to the size of snowballs. I know. But so what, what else do you write about? Yes, I Well, I wrote one. Um, I wrote a kid's book called Alan the Alligator Counts Through New Orleans. Now the self-published, you know, a kid's book. I'm working on a novel. Uh, I'm really excited about that. Um, God willing, I'll get that with, like, one of the big five publishers in New York. That'd be amazing because I won the Jack Jones Literary Arts Fellowship, and that's like a 3% acceptance rate. I get to go to Santa Fe and learn all these great things about writing Oh, novels. that's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's for women of color. I'm so excited. Absolutely. And then I've, I've written, you know, uh, newspaper things. Like, I've written for... Offbeat and for obviously Noah.com, Gambit, Jezebel, New York Daily News, um, who a bunch of Essence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is coming. Yes. Yeah, my favorite <laughs> holiday. It's my favorite holiday. Absolutely. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> it, uh, it, it didn't used to be much. I mean, just fireworks doesn't thrill me because they, they scare me a little bit. But right. Essence makes uh, Fourth of July something else entirely. Yeah. And then this year, Essence, you know, the 25th anniversary, they are doing so much. Like they're they're going to have a big Fourth of July event, like in the daytime at Congo Square, like a family oh, kind of event okay. for the first time. And then they're going to do a lot of different stuff at night. Because, you know, usually Essence ends, it's over, you, you just go home. But now Essence is over, but there's still a party. <laughs> yeah. And that's more for, like, the youngsters. Hey, it's New Orleans. That's why they're here. Exactly. Essence Megan, Braden, Perry. Yes. The book is Crescent City Snow, Ultimate Guide to New Orleans Snowball Stands. Yes. Go to your nearest newsstand and buy the book. And you can follow me um, at Megan Does Nola, M-E-G-A-N-D-O-E-S, Nola, on everything. Crescent City Snow with a W on everything. Fantastic. Thank you. Megan, thank you for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me me again. Keep me informed when you get that novel finished and you you get that published, let me know. And you know, this was um, not not today, but this show was my first ever radio show. Not tonight, but in 2011. This was your first radio, and Mm -hmm. you did it like a queen. 2011, my first time. There are some people who walk in and they're actually nervous. I'm saying, what on earth are you nervous about? We're just going to have a conversation. Right, right. So 2011, it was my first time ever here, and so now I'm back again. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. Good to see you. You back. too. Yes, ma'am. We'll do. All right. Thank you. So um, I'm going to now um, pause for uh, a moment of um, uh, attributing to Leah Chase, who um, I, I have to say this, probably everybody in the city of New Orleans 
has stories about Leah and has spent time talking with Leah and has heard, I mean, just the incredible knowledge and nurturing and sensitivity and, of course, her engagement in the civil rights history of the city. There's so much to learn in about three sentences from Leah. Um, and I've had the pleasure of knowing her since I first got here. Um, and I, I told this story in my newsletter, but I'm going to share it with you guys who don't necessarily see the newsletter. Um, so when I first came here, I was working for George McGovern. And um, I met with some of the guys that were involved in the campaign, and they said, you need to go hire Aretha Castle Haley. So I met Aretha at Leah's restaurant where Aretha's mother was a waitress, and Leah came and visited with us. And so I'm here with these incredibly warm, welcoming people, and I'm just, you know, this little whippersnapper out of New York. And they were so gracious to me. It just gave me this unbelievably welcoming feeling about the city. Then I go to uh, my headquarters, which was unair-conditioned at the time, and these three ladies, Pokey McElhenney and um, uh, Rena Godchow and Blondie Labuis, these gals were equally gracious and warm. They came to my office with bottles of Coke to refresh me because I had no air conditioning. So what I got from that experience with those two groups of women you know, was on the one hand this warmth and this this support and this generosity of spirit, and um, yet on the other hand, the women that I met with at Dookie's were leaders of the civil rights movement, and they were out on the front lines, and they were protesting, and they were sitting at the table that they were not uh, invited to be at, and those other three white ladies from uh, um, Pokey McElhenney and, and uh, Blondie, um, all um, kind of social uh, ladies, but they were part of something called the Broomstick Brigade that took on corruption in City Hall. So that combination of this um, welcoming spirit, but this com commitment to achieving change when necessary was a revelation to me. It truly was. Um, I am going to play now for you a short interview, and I've done many interviews with Leah under different circumstances, but this was a short interview that I did with her not too long ago when she was 95. And um, uh, one more aside, I know I've, I've lived off Leah's chicken soup when I'm sick now for years and years and picking it up from her at the back of the restaurant and living just a few blocks from her, always uh, interacting with her. Um, but to interview Leah is, is is an experience like no other interview. So I hope you will enjoy this. It's not very long. It's, it's just a little brief window. And um, you'll find one thing that she comes back to again and again is, guess what? Food. Leah is celebrating her 95th birthday. 95. And basically one-third, almost, of the tricentennial of the city of New Orleans. That means you're real old. Well, it means that you've seen a lot of the history of this city. So I'm very curious about how you have negotiated 
these years, the city has changed so much in those years. It has. Tell me what it was like in, in your earliest years and, and how you feel about how it's changed. It's changed. The city has changed so much. But you know, until from my birth, I was born in New Orleans. Then I was brought up for 12 years across the lake in Madisonville. Then I came here to go to high school when I was 12 years old. I went to St. Aaron's Academy. Well, I saw a whole lot of things. We had to cross because the school St. Mary's was on Orleans and Royal at that time. So we had to cross Bourbon Street to get to school. But you know, we didn't even look at Bourbon Street. We just went on to school and went on. But I grew up to work in the French quarters. And there I saw a lot of things going on. A lot of people playing at different clubs and paddle brines and all this kind of thing. And, but now I see so much, so many different things going on, you know. How would you, how would you compare what's going on now with what was going on then? Well, you know, for me, I liked with, I like progress. I like to move up. But if you can keep some of the culture or some of the people that you had behind you would be so good, you know. I came up in the French quarters working at the coffee pot, serving people like Ricky Alvarez and all those kind of people. I even served Doris Duke in that little restaurant. But we were proud of what we did. And Paddle Brian was just a couple of doors away. Uh, we kind of enjoyed that if we had the stomachache or pretended we had the stomachache. Mr. Bob would say, go tell Mr. Pat, give you a little cream de mint. But half the time we would get the cream de mint, we didn't even need it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. We didn't even need it. But that kind of camaraderie, that kind of thing. And you learn about different things. Oh, then I look at this Tennessee Williams thing. And Tennessee Williams' big thing was lemon ice box pie. Well, you know who made those lemon ice box pie? Miss Savar. And that's where he would get them, at the coffee pot. So all those people came to the coffee pot to get their breakfast. Um, Newt Helner, which is an old painter back in those days, and his wife and his daughter would come every day. Henry Hobbs, which, who was another great painter in the quarters, and he did miniature drawings. But I fed them every day. And But the quarters now, it's still the French quarters, but they don't have that character that we had and that appreciation for one another that we had. But I guess with progress, you lose some of the old things. But I like to hang on some of the cultural things that we, even in our community here, Jean, we had good food, we appreciated good food, we knew how to sit down properly, dress properly to eat it, and but that's all gone. They come dressed any kind of way. We we didn't do that. We didn't do that. You knew you were going to. You dressed nice. Your mom would tell you, don't go out the house if you didn't look good. They'd be putting a little uh, cream on you, making you look good to go out. That's all gone. But that's the things I like to keep. I think one thing that we've kept is the love of cuisine in yes, New Orleans. And you have been very much a part of keeping that uh, tradition alive. And um, I, I 
I have to pause for just a second on on the the lemon icebox pie because you know what I just harvested a bunch of Meyer lemons off the tree in my yard. Oh my goodness! And I have like a bag full, and I don't know what to do with them because I'm oh not goodness, a chef. So much with Meyer lemons. My goodness! If you cook fish, you take that Meyer lemon and put it in a little sugar and put it around that fish. It's so wonderful. You can do so many things. That is one of the best lemons going. Oh, I know. And so I'm, I've been trying to figure out how to how to use them. So that's something I didn't think about is doing it. Yeah, you put lemon on fish, but but mix the lemon with the sugar and but, and but chicken. You see, yeah. If you're going to do the icebox pie, you just squeeze the lemons, put it in the condensed milk with some eggs, egg yolks, and beat that up. There you go. And that's the, the that's the heart that's the heart of it. That's the heart of it. Thank you for that. I'm going to actually try to do that, even though I'm not much of a chef. I'll have to go buy a crust because I can't make crust. <laughs> well, nobody nobody takes the time making crust today. You can buy a crust. You can buy a crust in all sizes today. You yeah. can buy the little ones. You can buy the big ones. Right. To make a big one, you need one can of condensed milk, three egg yolks, and the juice of three lemons. I got it. You got it. Thank now you, you mix the eggs and the, the milk together first. You mix it. Then when you put your lemon juice in, you don't beat it. You just fold it in. Put it in your fridge and it gets cold. Put it in your crust. You take the weight, the whites of the egg, beat them up, make a meringue, stick it in the oven. Now you see, you Simple. are you are sharing with me what is at the heart of your business for how many of those 95 years? <laughs> many. Many of those 95 years. Now let's talk about the restaurant. This was a very major undertaking when you first did this. And you had to have guts. Well, I knew what I liked. I worked in French Quarter and I knew in the black community we did not have what I saw in the French Quarter. But I always wanted what I saw over there. I wanted for my people just what I was doing for other people. I wanted them to sit down to a nice table with a tablecloth and napkins and be served properly. And I'm a stickler for nice glasses. I'm a fanatic for glasses. Give me a good glass and I think I'll be there. <laughs> because when you come up like me drinking out of jelly glasses and all that, but when company came, your aunt came, your mother took, get a good glass. The good glass might have been one that came out of oatmeal, but it was a nice glass, you know. Mm -hmm. it, and now it's called depression glass, and that's a big thing. It's, it's so funny that you said that. I'm finding so much um, traction with what you're saying because I bought a whole set of glasses once that were all multicolored and very fine and really interesting, and I thought, wow, I really have something. I went to one person's house, Beth, Beth Gallant, and she had the same glasses. I said, wow, I've never seen anybody else with those glasses. I said, Jean, they were given away at the gas station during the Depression. depression yeah, that was Depression glass. But for us, that was a good glass. It you is. Know? I you serve out of it today. You buy the oatmeal and you, you want a glass to get in the oatmeal. So sometimes you would have a glass, drinking glass. Sometimes you'd have a little glass dish. All kinds of little glass things in the oatmeal. So, <laughs> and now it's a big thing. But that was our special glasses. 
So again, coming back to doing fine dining for your people. Yes. And as it turns out, today, of course, everybody wants some of that. And so we all come here, and we come here for the gumbo, and we come here for the fried chicken, and we come here for the potato you know, um, casseroles, right. and uh, we come here for our specialties that we develop with you, That's like right. my chicken liquor, liver's oh, yeah. Gene Nathan's. Gene Nathan's <laughs> chicken liver's Gene Nathan. And all that is is sauteed chicken livers with onions and drop some oysters in it. It is so good. It is fabulous. It is fabulous. So we do chicken livers, Gene and Nathan. And, you know, people leave you a little something. That's why I like to meet people. No matter who comes along, they leave you something uh -huh. to go on. Right. Uh, we do something called Oysters Norman. Now, I used to fix those oysters for Miss Norman something like a Rockefeller, but I wouldn't put the old, I would chop the oysters and make, make like minced oysters, mm -hmm, then put mm -hmm. them on the shell and put some spinach and shrimp and a little bacon oh, on the top yum. of it. But you see, the oyster was like a little light dressing underneath that, but that's the way she liked them. Wow. So we call it Oysters Norman. <laughs> <laughs> Who else? Any other special uh, dishes oh, that you did for people? Like special things, you know. Yeah. Uh, never forget Sarah Vaughan and her crab, which she called crab cakes. We call stuffed crabs. And oh. she loved them. We used to make them special for her. She liked those crab cakes so much. And we would, she called them crab cakes, but we just called them stuffed crab. We put them back in the shell put a little crab meat and butter on the top, put it under the grill. Mm. Yum. So they'll leave you a little something, everybody who likes things, like what they like, and then we go on with it. So um, I, I just want to point out uh, one thing that uh, I want to take issue with um, a major national uh, food uh, uh, professional um, who called Leah the last... Of a, she said, the last of a generation is gone. Well, all due respect to the icon of Leah Chase, and as a person, there's just that she's just a person who's never going to come again. She's just an amazing person. However, we have a lot of grandmas in town who make gumbo. We have a lot of grandmas in town who make etouffee. We have a lot of grandmas in town who make jambalaya so uh, i i don't think she's the last i don't think that we ha have to say that that generation is gone and by the way i just want to say that in new orleans the past is never gone unlike many other cities we have protected it integrated it the good and the bad the pretty the ugly and it is a part of us today so um that's something that I think is one of the most special things about New Orleans is that the past is a thread in the present and the future at all times. And speaking of the past and the future, we have with us two guests, uh, both of whom I have known um, over the years. Um, Valerie Robinson is a public relations executive that uh, we've worked together actually on, on projects. She was my, she was my boss. <laughs> When she was at the Regional Transit Authority, and I was a, a mere consultant to her, and I learned a lot from her professionalism. Lynette Gilbert is a woman who works with philanthropists, and she tries to advise them 
on, on how to do better. Let's leave it at that. And um, uh, both of these ladies happen to have a particular interest in Algiers. And guess what, folks? New Orleans has had its 300th anniversary, but Algiers is now celebrating its 300th anniversary. So honoring our past, inspiring our future is their theme. And I want to hear more about why Algiers 300th is so special. Either one of you can start. Uh, so 300 years ago, 1719, um, was the year after New Orleans was founded um, and, and claimed for France. So then in the next year, while Bienville was here, the king granted him the lands on the other side of the river. So it was Don't not. Don't you love that? The king just grants him this <laughs> land. What? Uh, how many thousand of miles away? Ten thousand miles away, or something? I, I mean, the, the whole thing of that whole colonial era just it always blows my mind. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. that's okay. Um, and but I, so he got all of this land, and it basically served uh, as the king's plantation. This is where they had a slaughterhouse. They had ammunition magazines. They had um, crops. Uh, we mean magazines as in, yeah, yes, in storage spaces. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and the crops and everything that sustained the colony of New Orleans. It wasn't initially part of uh, New Orleans. This is also where the earliest slave ships came. Wow. And that was where they disembarked, was right on Algiers Point. Wow. Uh, I didn't know that. And mm -hmm. They they have been able to confirm back as far as 1722, but there are some uh, sources that say 1719 was the year that uh, the first slaves arrived. So the interesting part of that is some of them stayed and worked on the King's Plantation. Some of them were taken across the river to be sold to somewhere else. And some of them, you know, integrated into the community. And... Uh, you know, the, also John McDonough's plantation was there on the river. It doesn't, the property is still there, and that's why we have McDonoughville partly in Jefferson and partly in Orleans Parish, I because when that. they divided the area, it, the line goes straight through there. Uh, but he, he, um, he let his slaves buy their freedom, and at his death, he, he, um, emancipated all of them and a lot of those people stayed in what's called what was called Freetown which is now McDonoughville so all of those people have integrated later on we had maritime railroad industry big time there was a railroad yard that ran all through the area and um and again, I mean, more integration. Then we had Italians and Germans and Irish and all the other peoples that came to New Orleans. And the culture there became really a true melting pot of people who lived and worked side by side. But but that's true in New Orleans, too, of course, on, it on, is. On, yes. the, on the East Bank. So how would you characterize how it was different? On the West well, Bank. part of it is that it wasn't part of the city of New Orleans until 1870. So it was its own little town. And so it had all the things to support the people who lived in Algiers, which at the time was what we call so old it, Algiers. It was self-sufficient. It was self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. um, as time went on and, Al, you know, they would 
there were plantations all the way down to the lower coast area, which mm-hmm. then later became subdivisions and, and things like that. And so you have that suburban area right after you get out of the historic old Algiers. Mm-hmm. So it, it's actually Algiers is really like three communities, the historic part, the suburban part, and then the lower coast part that's basically agricultural so and rural. So, you know, you really have three different kinds of communities there but we we were really initially going to just celebrate old Algiers because that's the oldest history and that's where Lynetta and I live Um, but you know we decided it's Algiers tricentennial let's get everybody interested so that's where what we've been doing for the last six months is trying to get people telling their stories uh, oral histories and things like that so that we have good records and that we can talk about what has been done by these families who still live there and the culture and the arts and things that come from that area and hope that we, again, are inspiring people to think about ways, particularly in the creative industries, that they can be in Algiers. How did you come to live in Algiers? Uh, So my husband and uh, daughters and I moved here in 1981. He was recruited um, through the Navy Department. He worked for the uh, Secretary of the Navy in Washington, and he needed to have a field position in order to get a higher grade, and so he was recruited to come to the Navy base in New Orleans, where he served as a personnel specialist. Which is on the West Bank. Yes, and as he said, when we talked about housing, he said, one of us is, he said, we're going to live near where one of us is working, and he was the only one working, so we lived in Algiers. <laughs> we also um, had some family rules about where we wanted to live, and we were very clear. We had two daughters, two and five years old. We did not want them to go to private schools or parochial schools. We believed in public education, so we wanted to be in a neighborhood where they had very good schools. Now, coming from Washington, D.C., and at that time we didn't realize that that meant um, that the schools were really segregated by, Mm -hmm. you know, um, income and and race. but Resegregated. Right. Mm -hmm. So we ended up um, in Aurora, that part of Algiers, where um, Alice Hart School was. Mm-hmm. And so we that's where our girls went to elementary school. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, so many people with children have make that decision about where to live based on, on the schools that are available. I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with that. You know, I, I wrote in my newsletter again, I said, how did this little um, cozy um, – cluster of neighborhoods survive the 20th century. I mean, we all know that um, so many cities were raised in, in, in large part uh, through very wrong-headed um, urban renewal programs that um, had all kinds of underlying um, themes, including the destruction of public housing after Katrina, which was one of the battles that I took on and was involved in. Um, so What's the answer to that question? How did that village, in a sense, of Algiers, old Algiers, survive? Well, we didn't have a bridge till 1958, so that helped. It was, you know, fairly isolated. And even today, when we talk about ways of bringing people to old Algiers, you know, we have to really think. The bridge is an obstacle. Yes. It's still an obstacle, and it's also – it's a place that you don't, you can't really drive through. You know, it's not really on the way to anywhere because we're right there at the river. 
And so you kind of have to be pretty intentional. I mean, a lot of visitors come over on the ferry just to take a ride and look at the view from Algiers Point, which is like, you don't get a view like that anywhere else. And more and more, as we see little businesses open and stuff like that, we're seeing more people, you know, come over to, to visit bars and restaurants and shops and things like that, as well as we have seven registered bed and breakfasts um, and we don't know exactly how many Airbnb short-term rental kind of places that are either being legally or illegally operated, but it's a lot. Um, so those are our new people. And it's like, you know, we probably couldn't sustain coffee shops and gift shops and things like that if we didn't have them. So I think, you know, with that, there's a, a balance and not that that's really our topic, but, you know, it, I think, us being sort of isolated, so we kind of had to take care of ourselves with the kinds of shops that we had or services that we had. And that's kind of the piece that's missing now once everybody could go everywhere, you know, and had cars and could go across the bridge. They quit looking so much for those things to be close enough to walk to. Well, I think the other thing we have to realize is that while we were isolated, and I guess we were incorporated in when, 1940-something? No, 1870. 1870, yeah. we became a part of the city of New Orleans. But even though that was going on, people who lived in Algiers found a space where they could create, where they could live comfortably. And, and we still have people who move over there because it's quiet, because they can um, operate... Um, in downtown New Orleans for, during the day and come to another area, which feels like it's not quite in the heart of the city. I think the thing that we forget is that uh, Algiers has given us at least one mayor, right, Berman, mm -hmm. uh, several city council people, um, state representatives, all of whom have worked on behalf of the city of New Orleans. not a whole, and not just their yeah, own. Yeah, and term. not Algiers. Yeah. Um, I think we, we also don't recognize that there's an, an element of um, family ties. So we have families in Al Algiers that have been there for six to eight generations. And we want to continue that connection. Um, and Has so there anything been written on that? Yes. yes, there are there are several books. Well, um, can I just throw out a couple of names for the audience? So the the one that talks the most about uh, Black New, Orle New Orleans in Algiers is, uh, was written by Al Allison Ward. Ward. Um, it's out of print now, but we think we I know we can get it's in touch with her. Probably in libraries. Yes, also. and Allison Ward lives in Houston and would love to come at, at back and talk with anybody about that. I'll take her. Um, what uh, What's the name of the book? The un. Untold, untold Algiers, Algiers, I think. Story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Untold Algiers story. Kind of reminds me of some of the early stories that were written by some of the other women authors like Grace King right. and mm -hmm. uh, Kate Chopin. Mm -hmm. We uh, also yeah. have a, a historical society in Algiers. It's called the Algiers Historical Society. Mm -hmm. And they really are keepers of a great deal of history about Algiers, what happened in the, in the community, as well as its contributions to the larger city. There are a couple of uh, heavy moments that were had on uh, on that side of the river, too. I mean, um, I got here uh, in the early 70s, not too long after 
the incident at the um, the Algiers Seven. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean that was a that was a big moment, and I think it was instructional for the whole city. Can either of you share with us a little bit of a reminder of, of how that went down and, and the importance? I mean, of I don't. It? That was I didn't live here then. I, all I know is you know what what I saw or you know on television or you know something like that. So I don't really know all about that. But um, we no longer. And again, back to your point of the public housing, our public housing is very different than what it was then. Better in most ways, maybe not better, you know, in some ways. But, um, you know, I'm, I don't know exactly what to say about that other than that was a very heavy moment. And we've had others that date back to the War of 1812 when we – we won a battle for the city of New Orleans while the other side lost. So yeah. I um, think there's in, in every neighborhood um, there's been some challenge with police and community relations, and that's what that, as I recall, some of the things that came were related to the Algiers 7 uh, history. And, and I don't really want to, that's not a history I want to raise up except to say it was a precursor to Black Lives Matter, yeah. okay, and our exactly. own local little story. Yep. But I do want to say to you that um, when we moved to, to Algiers, we saw then that racially, if there's such a thing as race, we were 51, uh, 49%. And it's pretty much been that way. But 51 black and 49 white? 40, no, at, at the time we moved. Vice versa. Yes, it's okay. 51% mm -hmm. white and 49% uh, black. I don't know what the numbers are, are now. But what's been uh, uh, interesting is that we continue to try to work together. And it's not, Algiers is not a community that is uh, totally working class people or very poor people or very high end people. We have a, a good spread of uh, socioeconomic levels there. Hmm. We have a lot of people that moved to Algiers after uh, Katrina because they lost their homes in New Orleans East yeah, and the uh, homes that were most like the ones that they had. That's development, yeah. You know, we, sh we became what they call a receiving community. So people left right. New Orleans East and came to Algiers. Mm -hmm. However, because we didn't get a lot of damage, we weren't seen as a community that really needed FEMA funds for redevelopment. But when you Good get point. a significant number of people, and this is uh, everybody who's doing disaster work, when yeah. you bring the population in and you don't, um, give resources to help with infrastructure building up, right. you know, strengthening the schools, all the services that mm -hmm. you need, you still uh, find yourself in a dilemma. So I think Algiers has really been a welcoming space for anyone who's come there. Uh, what we want to say is that as one of the last neighborhoods to be redeveloped since Katrina, we want the residents to have a very serious voice at least in old Algiers, about what that redevelopment looks like. And we've done a lot of work with our neighbors who live there and who continue to join us to talk about what is the vision for that. But we want them to understand that the vision for the future is connected to what we were in the past, which was a working-class community rife with writers and musicians and historic churches and all those things. So we don't want to see any of that go away. We want to build on that. 
So, and musicians. We've always had you. lots and lots of musicians, and some of the earliest jazz music was played in Algiers. This is and something I have to say. I mean, I, I, I've studied the music of the city and the musicians and worked with them and produced a lot. And I am aware that of, of, of musicians um, that have come from there, but I did not know that this was a particular characteristic of the area. That's true of my neighborhood, too. I live in right. Treme, and Treme is also a place where a lot of creatives have always lived. In fact, I, I just want to, uh, I always, I like to talk about this because it's an important plug. We have uh, a study that I did, because ultimately I want to try to do a, a real census of the city to get a true count of the creatives, because we don't have it. They don't show up in the, um, in the, in the uh, census, and they don't show up in the... Uh, um, Department of Labor Statistics, uh, reflective of the true number of people here who are creative. So we did a little study. We t I just took a neighborhood in Treme, not not in Bywater where so many uh, uh, um, painters and artists have moved mm -hmm. in. Out of the 100 households that we completed the survey with, over 50% had somebody in that household who was a creative producer. And that tells you something about this city, in addition to what we were talking about before, about the, the living history, mm -hmm. the, the, the strength of the cultural legacy here. Uh, you know, I come from a very creative place. New York is a very creative place, but it's creative because people come from everywhere there to be a part of the business of it. But, but here it's, it's, a, it's, it's so intrinsic. But I really didn't know that this was a special characteristic of Algiers. Yes, uh, there were uh, 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 many, many well-known within jazz history uh, people that came from Algiers. And just uh, about a month ago, the Historic New Orleans Collection did a program on Manuel Mineta, who he and his whole family were were jazz musicians, the women and the men in that family. Um, and he he was not as famous as some of the others that that left and you know went off to Chicago or places like that, and he stayed and he was a teacher so his influence really was felt much longer mm -hmm. because he was teaching like the Ellis next generation exactly yeah. yeah so those connections are very important too you know and I mean for instance Kent Jordan lives in our neighborhood and, oh is that right yeah, is that and, Kent's living yeah and um, Kent, Kent played music for dance classes that I taught when he was like 12. I'm serious. Well, he's not 12, but, you know, I mean, he's the, he's the music director at Lusher High School. So. Say hello for me. Um, we, we're running out of time, and I want to make sure to uh, let everybody know how you're celebrating your 300. Great. That's the point. So um, we, you heard our theme, which is honoring our past, inspiring our future. We're doing, we're encouraging. This is not a big pot of money that the neighborhood has, but we're encouraging every part of the of Algiers to, to look at who's there now, look at their history, and talk about what's going on in their community that's good, that they love, and lift it up. Now, it doesn't have to be a uh, something that the, uh, it's a television event, but it gets the neighbors back to talking to each other, because another characteristic of Algiers is we're like a little village. No matter which section you go in, people know each other and communicate with each other and commune with each other. So we, we really are lifting up small events. We have a website, and Valerie's going to talk to you about some of the things that are on the website, algiers-tricentennial.org. 
is the uh, site, and we continue to update it all the time. So, yeah, so we have some things coming up. Um, Sunday. Um, on June. Did you say dot .org? Dot .org, yes. Algiers. Dash, dash, tricentennial.org. Tricentennial. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Uh, so on June 9th, this Sunday, um, uh, Sonny Patterson is involved in creating this event called Through Through the Elders' Eyes, the History and Mystery of Algiers. And it's a spoken word and, uh, and storytelling. storytelling event that's going to be at uh, a little restaurant called Off the Hook on 11th. 17 Tesh. 13 Tesh mm-hmm. Street. Um, that's free and open to the 11, public. 1113 10th Te- Street. Tesh. T E C H E. Oh, T E S. T E C H E. Okay. Tesh. And we have a couple of Juneteenth programs coming up. This year, um, Luther Gray is going to, to lead a drumming procession. So a group of drummers are going to come on the ferry and march through Old Algiers, and then later in the day they're going to be at Black Star Cafe um, to do a program about black Indians and uh, an honor of Juan St. Malo, who was a maroon uh, resistance leader, and a lot of maroons live on the West Bank, particularly in the the cutoff and lower coast area. So there's going to be a program about that and, um, you know, honoring those people. That's that's on uh, June June 19th. That's the Juneteenth celebration. Okay. Uh, There's also this year is the 400th anniversary of the first slave ships to come to America, to North America. So um, we are getting finally a marker – uh, UNESCO marker on the riverfront to to signify the um, the the slaves that that came there. The city got several last year, but again, we were left out. So, so I, I just want to um, encourage something in relation to this. I don't. I, I, have you heard of the play Slave Ship? You have. No. All right. So there's a very important uh, play uh, called Slave Ship. Oh, God, it's by a really famous Harlem writer. But Gil Moses, who was one of the founders of Free Southern Theater here in New Orleans, directed Slave Ship once in New York. Mm -hmm. It was the most phenomenal performance. Um, I have to believe there's a video of it available that could be shown as part of one of your programs. I am going to look into this for you because um, I, I saw it. And it was just so powerful and dramatic, and I, I'm just—I have such a name problem in general. I can barely remember my own half the time, so I'm, I can't remember the author. But it was really one of the very famous Harlem uh, writers. So um, in your neighborhood, tomorrow, right? Um, Tremaine, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Tommy Myrick and Dark uh, Voices right. will be presenting a preview of a play called um, Le Code Noir. Le, Le Co- Code Noir, and it'll be at the um, at the, the African American. No, 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 no. The McKenna Museum. The McKenna Museum. I'm sorry. Um, yes, on Esplanade. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that's the Free People of Color, right? Museum. That's right next door to me. Oh, that's what they've been rehearsing all week. And it'll I've be been having. Right. I've been listening to the rehearsals <laughs> in the in the garden right next door to me all you know almost every day for the past week or so. Can and I wondering, just say this? I hear the music. I just want to say this one. Please. Thing. So Algiers is like New Orleans 
in total in that the city name doesn't mean anything it's the culture of the people that lives here and so we could be called algiers we could be called anything but the the exciting contributions that people of algiers have made and are making is really what sticks in the minds we want to stick in the minds of everybody and come join us the whole year we're going to have some more events all throughout the year Please, I know Valerie will keep me in touch with all of the things that are coming up, so uh, please do that, and I will put them in our newsletter and call them out in the show. I want to thank Blake Jones, the attorney, for making our show possible, and um, and I want to thank uh, Lynette and and Valerie, uh, two very special women, for joining me on the show tonight, along with one of the most special of all ever, Leah Chase. Thank you all. See you next week.